Welcome to Firearms Trainers Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I'm your host, Rob Beckman. Today, we'll be talking about building training exercises off of real-life events. We bring you this podcast to support the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every firearm instructor in America that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. This episode is also brought to you by our friends at the FTA, the Firearms Trainers Association. Head on over to their website at ftaprotect.com to learn more about their instructor coverage they offer and their competitive pricing. Receive a special 10% off on your policy by entering promo code FTP10 at checkout. This episode is brought to you by Mantis X. A couple of years ago, I came across Mantis X at a trade show. and saw a lot of potential for myself and my students in it. Now, I can do my own dry fire practice at home and get expert feedback on what I need to do to improve my own trigger press. But besides improving my own shooting, it also allows me to help my students by having them use the device on their firearm to augment my coaching. It's like having an expert shooting coach right next to me with a student on the range. They work out so well that I actually had a friend who borrowed mine, then paid me for it because he wouldn't give it back. Get yourself a Manus X and you'll see why it's such a valuable tool for improving your shooting and your students. Today we are joined by a previous guest, Brian Eastridge from Log Dog Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network now. And also the EDC Belt Company. He's a police officer and firearm instructor. Welcome, Brian. Hey, how's it going, Rob? I'm doing great. Well, hey, for those listeners that might not have uh, listened to our previous podcast with you, can you give our listeners a little bit of background uh, color uh, on top of what I just uh, talked about, what you do in the industry? Oh, well, I wear a number of hats and uh, they are ever changing. But, uh, you know, I have a small training company. Uh, the Law Dog Shooting Sports Podcast is now part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. Thank you, welcome, Riley and welcome. Jacob <laughs> and uh, Rob and uh, Not Your Average Gun Girls. Um, and then I've got EDC Belt Company, which that's kind of in a transitional phase right now with uh, oh, with labor and outsourcing, just the, the things that go along with running a small business. But uh, And... And I'm a full-time cop, so, and I've been a firearms instructor, I think, 15 of my 18 years now, so, and then I've, I've, I've within that, I've done a, man, done a lot of, a uh, lot of teaching, so, and a lot of learning, but those are, those are kind of the, I guess, four hats that I wear. Oh, we'll keep it at four hats for right now, okay? <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, Brian. Last time you were on the podcast, we were talking about firearm instructors staying in their lane. And I thought today it was most apropos to bring you on the podcast because we've all heard about the horrific events that happened down in White Settlement, Texas, there at the church shooting. And I thought it'd be a great opportunity for us not to criticize them, but to go along and run through maybe some exercises that instructors should think about in order to prepare students for real life events it's really easy to go along put them through a concealed carry course and say you know when this happens draw when this happens go along and do that but when we have a full video as we did from white settlement uh shooting it gives us a real eye-opener about they need more than just a basic concealed carry license they need more situational awareness they need trauma first aid they need you know firearm skills that are not your basic stuff um, so first question for you, and this is probably the easiest firearm training. What are some of the, some of the takeaways that you saw that would be good exercises for students to be 
or instructors we think about for the students? Well, I, I see like two to three areas that could, that could really be beneficial. And one is distance shooting. That was uh, from a police background where I used to have to qualify at 50 yards. That was not a really long distance, but under realistic conditions of stress, that was an incredibly long distance. Uh, so being comfortable shooting at distance would be one of the paramount takeaways I, t- I took from that. Uh, number two would be shooting in the vicinity of others and how ha- and developing a way to practice that safely. And I don't mean in the vicinity as they're your, your shooting mates on your left and right of the firing line. You know, in the real life, there is no firing line. So uh, being very stringent on maybe not uh, maybe having no threat or, or non shoot targets, something that makes something very challenging and very uh, difficult to achieve because of no shoot targets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that, I'm, I mean, I'm thinking about, as you talk about that is yeah. we have the, we have the bad guy target placed mm-hmm. at a certain distance away. And then yeah. you put a whole lot of other targets that are, different color or they got, you know, spray paint on them, something else like that. There are no shoot targets and you've got to, you've got to figure out where your shot is and right. take it because obviously if you hit one of those shoot targets, that could be a, a person you know, you got to be accountable for every, every shot. And at the same time, just like you said, it's, there's not going to be a firing line. So you may not have a direct shot right in front of you. You may actually have to go along and jump up on top of a pew or yeah. duck underneath something around a, pull whatever the situation is in order for you to do it. And those are skills that like we were talking about in basic classes, they normally don't, don't go over. Right. And, uh, I've seen a different, different takes on, on that aspect of training on, you know, non-threat targets and having to find a, uh, you know, an angle to maybe make a shot. The, the one thing that I've not heard anybody really talk about is background. That was a very fortunate situation that the background of that bad guy was a wall. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's another there's another dimension you can throw in on top of all the other dimensions. The other big one for me would be training with an elevated heart rate because I don't know if you've ever been in the vicinity of a shotgun blast uh, with no ear pro on and not knowing that it's getting ready to happen your heart rate and adrenaline dump is pretty heavy and pretty fast. Pretty instantaneous. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, and that, uh, that aspect of it, uh, a 15 to 17 yard shot when your heart's going, you know, 130 plus beats a minute is incredibly challenging. Uh, even for somebody that's very skilled. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those are just some aspects that, yeah. uh, well, target identification. You know, I mean, you know, we talk right. about, you know, accountability, think about all of a sudden something goes on and then you've got to figure out, okay, where to come from, you know, what's a safe shot, you know, the background, all those different things that you, your mind, your mind's got to go through and make a decision very quickly. And those, that's, um, you know, we're, if we're going to be building a realistic kind of training, we need to bump up the stress. We need to bump up the um, accountability for the shots. It's not like, Oh, you know, I got nine out of 10 shots on target. Well, what happened to the 10th shot? It's, you know, all 10 on target, all 10 where we want them to be. We've got to be able to shoot from, um, 
unconventional positions at times. Right. Which, and some people may disagree with this, but for me, one of the best outlets and the best places to do that is in a competition setting. Once you have those core fundamentals and skills down, you're going to cover shoot, no shoot, hard cover, soft cover, uh, background a lot mm-hmm. of times, uh, and elevated heart rate. There ain't anything to get your heart rate up that I've found that can simulate it like a timer going off when all your buddies are quiet and watching you, you know, <laughs> that, mm-hmm. and even at, you know, your local USPSA club or three gun match, you know, I, I have a lot of, and it seems to be a, an apprehension amongst police officers that, well, competition's not realistic. I say, well, where else are you going to go shake out your equipment under a condition of stress it, that where else can you do that? And people will paste your targets and tell you how well you did, you know? Uh, so and they don't shoot back. I mean, you can always yeah. go to, you know, some bad part of the city or whatever, where it's like, yeah, just walking around, you know, people start taking pot shots at you, but that's, that, that's got too high of a risk. You want something yeah. a little bit more control to where it's like, okay, next time I'll, I've got to, you know, slow down. I've got to, you know, be a, have my accuracy a little bit better. Right. And, uh, I think that is a great pressure testing, uh, great pressure testing format. And, and I've never, I've never put a great deal of effort into trying to achieve anything in the competition shooting circles other than I like to win. But, <laughs> but uh, as far as like A card, B card, grandmaster, any of that, I've never sunk myself into it to that level. Uh, but if you really want to go and figure out where you have holes in your shooting game, that's, that's a great plat. That's, it's a great outlet for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think one of the things where, you know, we didn't see this white settlement, but it, you have to do magazine changes. I mean, you know, it's very possible a, you know, mechanical device is going to have a problem. So you could, you could have bad ammo. You could have a, you know, bad magazine. You could run out of, you know, magazine could go empty. And all of a sudden you got to, you got to go along and be able to do that um, magazine reload confidently. And, you know, again, competition, I'd rather do it there than, um, you know, in some back alley someplace in a shootout with somebody. You know, that's not my idea of uh, effective training. Well, the guys that I used to shoot around back in the, the North Carolina era when I was stationed out there, uh, it was interesting to see the amount of really high-level operator dudes that were out at their local gun club shooting a IDPA or USPSA match like every weekend. And then for, for some unknown reason, there's gotten to be this like cliche about shooting competition. And I'm like, Hey, the guys I know that were going overseas and doing, uh, you know, doing wonderfully great things to bad people. Uh, they were shooting competition every weekend. So that tells me there's gotta be some merit and some value to it. Um, so anyway, that, that's kind of my two cents on, on competition and, you know, I'm, I'm blessed that in Oklahoma, you know, one of our local gun clubs holds a concealed carry match that's, you know, time standards and uh, shoot from – you got to shoot from your carry rig. <laughs> so, you want to mm-hmm. shake out the, the mag pouch, the holster, and what you're wearing, show up and shoot. And, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, you know, that, that's one of the things where um, when I've competed, and I honestly, you know, haven't done a whole lot of competition uh, or, you know, tried to really improve – in competition circles, um, mm-hmm. try to do it with my carry rig. 
because I'd rather have more confidence with my carry than to have a tricked out gun with a lighter trigger with, you know, a sight that I don't normally use. I'd rather know that, Hey, look at this. I can draw, I can put shots on target in sub two seconds. Hey, that's good. And, you know, could I, could I shave off another half second by, you know, having a more tricked out one potentially, but at the same time, I know what I can, I can do with my uh, carry. And that's, that's gold in my mind, as far as knowing what I can do with what I'm carrying. Right. Yeah. Cause there always could be the time to where it's like, Nope, I'm out of here. You know, there's no way I'm going to go along and, uh, you know, beat a whole bunch of ninjas jumping out of the ceiling, coming down with, you know, some machine guns. That's the time to exit state door left in my, in my book, because yeah. there's no win there. Yeah. Time to time, time to use the 3000 pound gun and <laughs> hit the skinny pedal on the right. Mm-hmm. And get out of there as fast as you can. Wait, Brian. I know from your podcast that I was listening to, one of the things that you and Chuck were uh, talking about that our instructors may not go along think is important, but I think you, you had a good perspective on it, was kind of have that insight of, you know, both you and Chuck are police officers, and, you know, you start looking at the video, and you, you know, you start getting that itch to where, like, wait a minute, you know, a guy in some, you know, a wig is walking around with a heavy coat on and warm weather. And you know, at some point, you know, use the words hands on, um, you know, what, what kind of suggestion would you have, you know, for our instructors as far as, you know, courses along those lines? Right. Well, the disclaimer being, you know, I, I, I would never take away anything from what they, what they endured and what they did. I, right. Yeah. They uh, did everything they could. Yeah. Um, the thing that as a police officer that we get at, at a pretty considerable amount of training on is if you've ever read into Terry versus Ohio, the Terry stop, right? Something didn't look right. Officer intervened, went to federal court and they said, uh, well, okay, you know, three guys dressed in trench coats when it's 105 degrees outside standing out of a jewelry store bank, whatever you want to call it that rises to the level of suspicion that something's not right. And you are entitled to investigate that. Um, and there's many different manifestations of that, um, throughout the law enforcement world, you know, uh, in everything we do, you're constantly on the look for what is not right. What's out of place. Um, and it could be anything from, a car parked in an alley that wasn't there 45 minutes ago and there's no businesses open. Uh, what's that doing there? That, that stands out um, to, Hey, it's three 30 in the morning and there's somebody, you know, somebody inside of a business and the lights are off. You know, I mean, just you're constantly on the search for that type of thing. So, and you're con- you're trained a lot in uh, like pre-assault indicators. So looking at somebody's just general behavior and going, that doesn't look right and finding a way to lawfully intervene in that. Uh, And that I think is a benefit that police officers have over general public civilians uh, Mm -hmm. as far as the training that we're, we're given on that. Uh, And we do a lot of uh, in basic Academy training, a lot of scenario based stuff that, that deals with just that. And, Sometimes the outcome is not necessarily, you know, physical confrontation. It, it's, it's a casual conversation and you go on about your business. 
you know, it doesn't always end up in a, in a Sims gun battle, it, mm-hmm. so to speak, you know. Uh, and there's, there's some places that are, they're starting to put emphasis on that. Uh, you, you gotta be able to read the situation for what it exactly. is and you gotta know, you know, be able to ask a couple questions, you know, and because how they answer it, you know, how quickly they answer it, those types of things tell you quite a bit because, you know, if I'm sitting there and I'm calculating my answer, that's a lot better than saying, Hey, you know, I'm here for the service or, you know, I'm here. Right. Um, you know, same time, if I'm looking at you and I'm looking from your, you know, from your top of your head down to your feet back up again, it's like, wait a minute, they're kind of sizing me up. You know, this, this is, uh, again, starting to become suspicious. Yeah. It, it starts to, to lean into that, that, that pre-assault indicator, mm-hmm. you know, the guy clenching his fist. What's what, what, what about that individual stands out and got your attention and what can you do to mitigate his intentions or change them? Is, is really what it boils down to. And that is something that, it, and nothing against the white settlement guys, uh, that's something that churches in general, I think they kind of miss the mark on some of that because typically people are there for some form of, uh, you know, spiritual help, mental help, financial, physical support. Um, so you may have an abundance of people there that are maybe don't fit the mold of just churchgoer. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Especially in the big city where I work. Um, it, and it's how do you intervene in that and how do you discern this person's here for help, he's having a crisis versus this person's here to assault somebody. And, and that's uh, and I've where, seen both, you so. know, how, how, you, how you interact with them. Again, mm-hmm. if somebody's, you know, ha- having a bad time, but they'll sit there and explain to you why they're there and what some situations, that's better than if somebody like just said, it's kind of sizing you up. And that's where I think we're, in my mind, training like this would be doing, you know, scenarios. And then you go, you know, you were talking about academy. You don't need to have the expense of sims or different things like that, but you can very easily go through and have a couple simple questions, go along and have a couple simple scenarios to where the person, you know, you have somebody play that person who's coming in and based upon one or two things, they could decide whether it's going to be a violent confrontation or if it's just going to be a, a casual uh, passing by. And you, you can be great on both of them because obviously in a church, you want to be welcoming. You want to, you know, have the people around, but you also, like you said, you want to be able to sniff out that trouble before it ruins everybody else's day. Right. And uh, one of the areas of town I worked in, we had one of the I guess you could call it a mega church, very, uh, several branches of this church and a very, very large organization and great people running the organization. And at a certain point, they kind of put their heads together and said, man, we have the budget. We need to hire some off-duty cops up here because we're attract there. There are people coming for legitimate reasons, but there are also people here that are, that are causing problems and, we need to get them help. And uh, one of the ways we can do that is to hire somebody that's trained to know what that looks like and uh, have them on scene uh, before we have to call them here. So uh, Mm -hmm. now there again, I live in the buckle of the Bible belt in Oklahoma here. So, I mean, there's, you can't pass a church or a liquor store, you know, but, (laughs) but, but a lot of churches are starting to hone in on that and, you know, the church that I attend, uh, you know, we've had several discussions about it and, and things that we can do to prepare for incidents and, and uh, 
you know, some first aid equipment that's on site, things like that. But, but the main thing I see is, is a real lack. The shooting portion, I'll back up here. The shooting portion of any scenario is the most simple, the most simple means to an end that there is. It's, it's really cut and dry. You either have the tools to perform or you don't. Um, and what white settlement proves that the, exactly. the, the security uh, member shot one time, the bad guy shot twice. So three shots and it's, it's over and done with. Right. And you know, that shows you, but you know, you, you think about how much time beforehand was there and everything else. And that's where, you know, you've got to put some good focus on what are you going to do beforehand? You know, to right. identify before it gets to that point. If you, if you can avoid that situation, you know, that's, that's a great thing. Yeah. Avoid, avoid it. Avoid is the best policy just in general. Uh, but mm-hmm. when trouble befalls you, shooting is, is a very, very simple task. Uh, and I think a lot of people really, they wrap into the minutia of shooting and it's really, it, it's a simple, it, it, it's a simple equation of geometry and math. That's about it. Uh, but all the things leading up to that are the complexity um, and, and the complexity in how do you confront an unknown subject and not disturb a church service or take the risk that you're going to disturb a church service. And then, you know, when you get called to the carpet over it, be able to explain why you did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and okay, now I've confronted this person. What am I going to do now? Do I mm-hmm. you know? Do I force his hand, or do I let the situation develop? Do I use what I used to refer to as some combat patience uh, in police work, where sometimes you just don't jump in the middle of the fire. You want to let things develop and kind of simmer a little bit, um, because sometimes things just work themselves out. Uh, contrary to popular belief, sometimes as a policeman, I would show up on a scene and there would be total chaos. And by doing nothing, by standing there and observing the chaos, eventually they would go, oh, the police are here and everything would stop. Time to leave. <laughs> exactly. So do you exercise mm-hmm. that or do you go, this is, this is something that I need to intervene in right now. And that is, that is a skill set that as a police officer, you hone over years and years of having daily interaction with people or unknown people. Um, whereas in a church, the, but let's face it, the bulk of that church body probably knows each other by first name, their kids' names, their wives' mm-hmm. names, their pastors' names. So now we have an unknown here. We have this wild card unknown. How are we going to intervene in that? And I think yeah. the only way to get better at that is to receive training on it and then do it. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, and you've got what 17 years of experience as a police officer, almost 18 able, now, almost 18. Oof. But you know, that's where being able to read the situation becomes very important because not every situation is going to require, you know, you go to go to your gun at the same time, not every situation. Um, you're going to be able to handle with uh, kid gloves and you've got to be able to mo- modulate that back and forth because you could, I mean, you could have a 10 year old kid who goes kind of, you know, crazy for whatever reason that you might have to go hands on with and, you know, physically restrain them because they're having an episode or at the same time, you know, what are you going to do with a a woman who does something like that? 
And, you know, those are all situations that you've got to really look at and see what's happening every day around us in the community to figure out what you should be prepared for. Yeah. And, and, you know, one of the, one of the phrases I threw out there in the, in the previous podcast there on the law dog shooting sports podcast was normalcy bias. Mm -hmm. Uh, And our department a couple of years ago put on a a, a phenomenal in-service that was just based on biases that every single human being has. And it was not a, you know, race, color, creed thing. It was, um, you know, how to, how to mitigate your own preconception to a situation and how to investigate it properly, but also how to, you know, how to not get caught into a, into a bias. And they, we showed videos and reviews and tons of data and research on violent assaults uh, that were committed by women of small stature. And, you know, as a policeman, you go, eh, not threatening. Uh, well, now I kind of look at that a little different. I go, Oh man, maybe I've, uh, maybe I've dodged the proverbial bullet a few times there. Um, juveniles, uh, you know, elderly people, that's, that's one that's come to the forefront of the media a few years ago was, uh, elderly people that were in, you know, dementia, dementia. Yeah. Right. And how to, how to look at that and go, you know, that person can still kill me. Uh, it might, might not know what they're doing. Right. And 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 that's where it takes a lot of skill to diffuse the situation. A lot of skills. If, if you, if it can be diffused at all. Right. And, you know, the big buzzword right now is de-escalation. And sometimes, and I think that gets really misconstrued because sometimes you have to escalate a situation to de-escalate it. And what I mean by that is sometimes you have to uh, hammer the nail or, or the nail is just going to sit there and be a nail. Um, so as a civilian or, or the, you know, the armed populace, not having those interactions daily where everybody knows you've got a gun. Mm-hmm. Then in my case, everybody, it's right there. <laughs> so every single time I contact anybody from, you know, uh, the soccer mom to the hardened criminal and all points in between, there's always a gun there. And I have to always, always, always keep that. I don't even know how to describe it. I always, that's all. There, there's no doubt that there's a gun there, right? Well, if you're armed populace, maybe you have a gun, maybe you don't, maybe you, you know, mm-hmm. and trying to intervene in some of those situations, it's kind of like we talked about with instructors staying in your lane. Sometimes as a civilian, you kind of got to stay in your, <laughs> stay in your lane, so to speak. Yep. Um, don't stick your nose in something you don't want to, you know, find out how bad it is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, something popped in my mind as you were talking about nailing that uh, nail on the head with a hammer are less than lethal options like tasers and uh, pepper spray because, you know, situations like that might work in churches that may, might not want, you know, a fully lethal component, but at the same time could be extremely uh, debilitating. If, pro- if the proper considerations is occur that they understand the limitations of tasers. They understand the limitations of uh, pepper spray because both of them, uh, you know, people can uh, ignore the, uh, the responses their uh, physiological responses. If they're uh, on, on enough drugs or enough adrenaline. 
I had an interesting, you know, a lot of people ask me about pepper spray, of course, being a policeman. And I'll give you a really interesting phenomenon. And I, I don't want any of the listeners to come up and test this. I would appreciate it if they didn't. But uh, on standard OC spray, uh, me and another guy in my academy were like mildly asthmatic. And neither one of us had effects for over five minutes from standard OC spray. And I was able to uh, like function without with minimal uh minimal effects. Mm -hmm. I go, you know, I'm in this crowd. I'm Joe, nobody yet. And, and it was just odd that it was me and another guy that we both had a, you know, an albuterol inhaler. And we're like, Oh man, we hope we don't go to the hospital after this, you know, (laughs) and uh, neither one of us had effects for over five minutes. So I don't know if that's a natural, like some type of body chemistry thing, but pepper spray, uh, I am not, I'm not a hundred percent sold on it. I, I think it's a great option. It's kind of like having a flashlight or, you know, a baton or whatever. It's a great option that's in there, but uh, I've literally seen people sprayed and the mm-hmm. overspray has affected the officer more than the suspect. Yeah. That, that was one that's thing I was going to go along and say, if you're going to go along and carry that or suggest people carry it is get trained because you've got, You've got the mist, you've got, you've got sprays mm-hmm. and you've also got the uh, gels and, you know, varying strengths and such. And, and then some, something like an enclosed area, like a church, mm-hmm. you can spray in one area and within a mi- couple minutes, this, the HVAC system could potentially have it throughout the entire church. And then all of a sudden you've got how many people that could be, you know, gasping and, you know, having, you know, medical incidents, which there again, you all of a sudden, you know, one threat's taken care of and you've created a, even a bigger situation there. Right. Yeah. And I, I, I can give you example of example of that, but uh, cross contamination. But the other thing with that is if you don't have some hands on skills, mm-hmm. uh, you want to take somebody that's agitated and completely send them through it through orbit with their anger and intentions. Put the devil's hot sauce in their eyes and you're going to see it come out. So that's another thing I caution civilians, especially carrying pepper spray is, Hey, it's a great tool. Don't get me wrong. It's a great tool. But if somebody hadn't planned on assaulting you and you deploy that chances are they're planning on it now. Um, And you better have the hand to hand skill because that option is now it's similar to taser also, because if I tase you, it's only good for, you know, a minute or two before you come back out of it, then you're going to be pissed off at me. So if I don't have you locked up somehow, you know, on the ground, then I'm going to be in a world of hurt because tasers are, are one, one use. You're going to have to get more or you're going to have to, you know, run really fast to get away from that person because they're not going to be very happy with you. Yeah. And the other thing is you've brought all your cards to the table at that point. You've, you've made no bones about you're trying to either get away or subdue that, that person. Mm -hmm when they've had uh, pepper spray applied uh, they, they start to get real motivated to either get away or continue their assault provided the effects of that don't debilitate them. So, yeah. Uh, and, and the only way to know those things is to train and then yeah, keep coming back to that training component. Yeah. Um, Cause it's, it's invaluable. You can't, the, the biggest predictor, I used to say the biggest predictor in bullet performance is there's no predictability to it. Um, 
So hey, the number we were doing demos with uh, a class and uh, an in-service class, and we were shooting through automotive glass, and we had targets at various distances and showing deflections and this and that. And I said, what's the number one most predictable outcome here? You can't predict the outcome. It just, you know, I, I'm sitting there with half a bullet jacket in my shirt that I had just shot through a window going, look, it, it was that predictable, you know? Um, so, and it's the same with all of the escalating applications of force, whether it be pepper spray, a baton. Uh, I have a bad shoulder from a gentleman that's now spending probably the rest of his life in prison uh, from throwing baton strikes, you know, um, and and pepper spray. And I deployed pepper spray in that situation, knowing that I was going to get cross-contaminated but also knowing I've got about three to five minutes before I'm going to start feeling effects from this. So is it beneficial? Well, had I not known that in training now here in the real world that had I said, man, if I get pepper spray, it's going to debilitate me. It's going to shut my lungs off and I'm going to, I'm going to render myself ineffective in this confrontation. I probably would have not used it. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and Taser was deployed in that. All the toys came out on that that particular incident, and this gentleman was high on uh, PCP. So, um, after about seven minutes of continual physical fight with this guy, uh, we finally had enough people to to subdue him. And uh, you know, I sustained a permanent shoulder injury from it. I, and that was me using every single tool I had except a firearm. And numerous times there was what I like to call the line. Like, man, if this crosses this line, this is going to go deadly real quick. Mm -hmm. um, and it never did, fortunately for him and for me. Uh, but that was the first time in my law enforcement career, one of the first times I really reflected on shooting would have been the easy, the easiest part of this. There would have been, I mean, it, it was literally cut and dry push the on switch and, and the, the fights terminated. Uh, but staying within the band would have been lawfully justified in doing so, but the, the escalation of force and de-escalation and it's a constantly evolving phenomenon. So mm -hmm. at, he never stepped across that line to where deadly force would have been appropriately applied but had that happened, that would have been the most simple solution to the entire equation. Mm -hmm. uh, shooting it at three to five yards, it's it, and I think as instructors, we really put so much emphasis on the handgun. And I don't mean to take away from that. That's great because that's what we're armed with daily. But there is a whole huge layer that we miss when we just teach people to coals and targets. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. I mean, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And it's also a really good segue into the uh, next topic where I think we should all, all, all should be going along and taking considerations in it. And that's what it comes to first aid trauma, first aid. Um, you were, you were talking about, you know, your own situation where you had cross contamination with uh, pepper spray. You know, that's one type of first aid where maybe, you know, you've got to get somebody an inhaler, nebulizer, things along those lines. But also, too, you know, people that play with knives and guns and end up, you know, getting shot and, and getting cut. And that's where 
if you're going to have a security team, you're going to have people that are going to be securing an, an area. Having first aid is, uh, and having proper trauma first aid, know what they can do to stop the bleeding using tourniquets, knowing how to apply pressure bandages, how to go along and do chest seals. All these types of things will not um, necessarily, um, you know, save the person. They can walk away from the from the gunfight, but it'll it'll keep them uh, keep things inside their body long enough that hopefully they can make it to the emergency room and the doctors who have the skills and have the abilities to go along and save them from that point uh, can do their job. Yeah, I have been pretty fortunate in that regard, too. You know, coming from the military, four years in the Army, I I spent four years in the the 82nd airplane gang there, you know, jumping out of planes and doing that craziness. Perfectly good planes jumping out of. (laughs) (laughs) I still have yet to see one, but hey, uh, but, you know, I went through the, the combat lifesaver course as a really young private in the Army, and I thought, huh? Well, I'm supposed to shoot machine guns and blow stuff up and throw hand grenades and, you know, and do all the fun stuff. And then I realized, man, medical's way more important than I ever thought it was. And I literally, now I never deployed overseas with the 82nd. I was, I was policeman by the time all that, that chaos kicked off, but I literally used medical almost weekly in that scenario, whether it was some guy, you know, standing in formation, passing out because he, he'd had a few too many libations the night before. And next thing you know, I mean, we didn't take him to the hospital. We stuck IVs in their arm and put it, you know, said, eh, go run the stairs, you know, run that out, mm-hmm. whatever. But, uh, man, I used medical all the time and, you know, having that. And then when I hired on the police department, I, we got basic first aid in our academy, and then we had some incidents happen where, uh, fortunately, some guys had tourniquets and pressure dressings, and then they started issuing them department-wide. And I mm-hmm. thought, man, I've really kind of knowledge-dumped a lot of this stuff, and I'm glad glad it's coming back. And I, I think now we're at a real it, – it's become the forefront of training again, finally, uh, and rightfully so. Uh, and, and not just because of, of gunshot wounds and knife, you know, somebody playing with their, their uh, automatic folder and <laughs> lancing themselves pretty good. It, it, you mm-hmm. know, bee stings, cardiac, uh, you know, ricochets, any number of different, yep. you know, Accident. somebody falls and twists their, their, I had a, I had a guy in my very, very first inaugural class two years ago that steps out of his truck and rolls his ankle. I'm like, oh. Good night. That's a great way to kick off your first class. Right? Mm-hmm. But. Yep. It's, uh, it's always important. One, one of the things I found that's very important when you start thinking about the scenarios is a lot of times you think about first aid. I'm going to come running and help you out. If we're really going to be, be preparing for these worst case scenarios, we have to think about self-aid to where, you know, if you're in the middle of a gunfight and you get shot, You've got to have your tourniquet. You've got to have your uh, you know, pressure uh, bandage. You got to have, you know, uh, you know, chest seals. Those types of things that you might be able to put on yourself. And here's the reason I found in, in the T Triple C class is if your buddy comes over and does it for you, that means two people are out of the fight. And if you're in the middle of a fight, you want as much as many good people possible going along and defending you at that point because if they if 
you lose overall, guess what? You and everybody else, it's been a wasted effort. And that, that's the mentality you, you got to have when it comes to these kind of survival situations. Yeah. And I can simplify that even further. When you get on the airplane, they always say, make sure your oxygen mask is on before you help anybody else, yep, right? Exactly. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, those are really, really important because just like you were talking about with, you know, shooting, you know, being able to go along with make the shots when you need to. And, but it's only gonna be a small part of it, but the other part, I mean, it's attitude, being able to go along and read the situation. You know, sometimes people just have bad days. Uh, you gotta be able to re- read the situations. So you don't make it worse. Um, at the same time, you don't want to misread or unread the situation to where all of a sudden, you know, something bad happens and the same type of thing when it comes to uh, first aid, uh, it's, I'm sure most security teams, uh, in, in churches, go along and they look at, you know, they've got more heart attacks. They've got people having strokes. They have people, you know, twisting ankles, breaking bones, uh, you know, kids skin and knees, all those types of things several times more than, you know, where they've got to actually go along and confront somebody. But those are all skills that you need to have because if you don't have those skills with you, then the only thing you have is, you know, what's on you. And that may not be enough to be able to do it, or it might go too far. Example of that, I got, I got called to solve with a, a pretty small church here locally. And uh, just to kind of, Hey, we want to get our people some firearms training and, and just kind of look at a, you know, some sec- not necessarily security training protocol, but just, Hey, what, where would you steer us kind of, kind of little meeting? And I said, um, tell me about your nursery staff. Oh, they're CPR certified. They're AED certified. They're this, they're first aid, they're red cross or this. And I said, how about the deacons in your security team? And there was this blank stare. And I said, that's probably a good place to start. You could <laughs> model this after your nursery and probably be on the right path. And uh, it, it was just interesting to me from an outsider that that had really never crossed their mind, And which, hey, that's why you call it consulting, right? So you can get mm-hmm. people to think about stuff they've not no, thought you about. You them and you're going to insult them, right? Right. So, but it was just, it was interesting to me that they went, oh, that's a really good idea. And I said, now when you want to get to the shooting portion, uh, I, you know, I can teach you to run a handgun. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, let's talk scenarios here in the hallway. Like, and I even told them, I said, you know, the security of, a, of, of this building starts in the parking lot with the people that are telling people where to park uh, and being able to train them to identify something's out of place. And then it goes into the, the lobby greeting area and then all the people that know everybody there, that's, that's the next layer. And then the next layer after that is everybody's face in the front and the doors are at the back. We got to have people watching the doors at the back, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it was, uh, it, it went really well. I mean, I, you know, it was, it was a little pro bono consulting gig there, but uh, I was really taken aback that man, sometimes we as armed populace that go out and train take for granted that some of the places and some of the, you know, some of the things that we participate in, maybe those, those people don't, uh, they Mm -hmm. they don't look at it the way that we do, um, which, and then there's, you know, what I like to call the average armed populace, which are the people that take a concealed carry course and nothing else ever. And there's varying degrees of training in between, but, uh, but yeah, that that's kind of some examples that I've I, I've had of, of uh, you know, especially pertaining to churches. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I had a similar 
experience with a local local church to me uh, where they wanted to uh, you know worry about shooting and then I brought up the whole situation about you know what about the first aid what you know how many times do people had heart attacks how many people have you know had broken bones in the winter time you know when they slip on ice different things and I said you know those are the things that are going to happen a lot more not that I wanted to diminish the shooting part of it but if you're going to have a security team you know put put it together, you know, full circle so that they can not only take care of an armed intruder, but they can also go along and help the little old lady who, you know, falls or the kid who scrapes his knee, those types of things, because you want them to be aware of not just the people look suspicious, but the other problems that could potentially uh, happen. And, you know, that's where being able to read the situation, that's, that's, uh, that's a great skill. Yeah. Medical happens you know, I I don't have any hard data on it, but medical situations I could almost guarantee you happen a hundredfold to a, a deadly force shooting. You know, mm-hmm. so uh, yet that's that's finally starting to come to the forefront again, and I I really am glad there's guys you know like <laughs> Brian McLaughlin and uh, our, our buddies there at Mountain Man Medical. Mountain Man Medical, yes, he was yeah, on a couple yeah. episodes ago, and uh, the same type of thing where uh, you. You, you, you realize just how much uh, has changed um, mm-hmm. in the time. You know, I first got my exposure through Boy Scouts for first aid. And, yes, it's changed significantly in the last umpteen years. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, hey, Brian, I, th- I think we've gone along and probably uh, you know, given our listeners a lot of good uh, thoughts um, for, uh, obviously, our thoughts and prayers are with White Settlement Church and, you know, what they've got to go through now and people out there. But hopefully our listeners understand that, you know, we're not criticizing what they did, but, you know, hopefully, you know, we always want to take what what's happened in the real life and apply to some of our training and think about some of the things we've talked about and building training courses if they're approached by a church or even they just have students coming out, go along and start saying, okay, what would you do in this situation? You know, of de-escalation. How would you go along and identify things are out of, out of the ordinary? What would you do in the first aid? And then, you know, how, you know, how far away can you actually confidently shoot? And, you know, those types of skills to really get people to, you know, think about what they should do and what they can do. Right. And that, uh, yeah, it's a lot of good good food for thought. the the big The big thing I want people to really be aware of, it, it, especially in the, the instructor community, is we can all competently teach people to shoot. I, I, if we don't, we 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 don't teach. You know, mm-hmm. people don't show up to classes. People don't come in with their their checkbook and say, "Oh, you know, teach me the knowledge that is sacred" or whatever, <laughs> however they view it. But uh, <laughs> what what we we tend to put so much emphasis on that that we overlook the other ninety nine percent of the equation, which you know we I'll I'll have to write down a summary of that sometime of you know everything from how to how to manage an unknown person to hand to hand skill to escalation of force to first aid, so just good food for thought, Rob. Well, I'll, I'll throw this teaser out there for our uh, podcast listeners. We're going to have uh, Gary Quisenberg on, and he's going to his episode, which will be in a couple weeks, will be about you know spotting danger. And right. he's a he's a former uh, um, air marshal, mm-hmm. uh, great great instructor, and 
the episode, I think it's going to be really interesting because think about everything we just talked about with going along and being able to read the situation. Gary's got decades worth of, of experience of being on an airplane and be able to read the situation. And you can imagine in that line of work, it's, uh, you know, he's got to make, make a very good call very quickly or else things, really bad things can happen. Yeah. Uh, Looking forward to hearing that one. And I think, uh, I think the Law Dog Shooting Sports podcast has him lined up here sometime in the near future as well. So, <laughs> Well, we're going to beat you to it, Brian, okay? Because I got, got him scheduled uh, this week to record that, so it'll Excellent. be out uh, shortly uh, thereafter. Uh, well, hey, Brian, can you tell our listeners where they can find more about you and uh, your companies? Well, right now, everything is tied into www.lawdogsports.com. And uh, we also now have links at uh, concealedcarry.com on the app for our podcast. And we also have a contact form on the website there. So if you're looking for training, you can contact me there. And also the belts, we have a direct link to our sales outlet from our friends at Langdon Tactical there. It's on the website. You can find concealedcarry.com. So, uh, but uh, you you can get a hold of me a number of ways there. So, Good. So if you want Brian to come out and do some training for you, or if you want to see what his training is, you can reach out and, and uh, converse with him that way. I do have some, uh, this summer I've got a, uh, I've got an intern that's, uh, we're going to shoot some video and I'm going to roll some video content and, Law Dog Sports is going to roll some, uh, you know, some short one-minute videos and 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 stuff like that, and uh, also our podcast. We run a live a Facebook live just like Riley and Jacob do over there at ConcealedCarry.com, and it's uh, at Law Dog Sports on Facebook. We run we run that in conjunction with our recording. So uh, if you do catch us on there, you get a little bit of the banter before and after show. You get a little some of the hidden nuggets there, you know. So. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's, uh, it's kind of a wrap on that. So, okay. Well, Hey, we'll call that a wrap of this episode and got a few uh, requests. We want our listeners to follow us, encourage other instructors to follow us on social media, Google play, uh, iTunes store, wherever you, you listen to us at, but encourage people to go out there and listen to us, visit our sponsors, especially the firearms trainers association at ftaprotect.com and check out their instructor insurance and use promo code FTP10 for 10% off at checkout. And if you have any questions, ideas, feedback, email us at FTP at concealedcarry.com. Remember, we bring this podcast to support the industry, the Second Amendment, most importantly, every firearm instructor in America that dedicates time and energy to making the gun owners more knowledgeable. Remember, train and stay safe, everyone. Concealed Carry Inc. and ConcealedCarry.com strives to share helpful information and education about gun-related topics, training tips, and other things that may potentially have legal implications for its listeners. The information contained in this podcast is intended in good faith, but it is important to understand that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand laws that apply to them. Nothing in this podcast should be misconstrued as legal advice or counsel.